Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Twin Movies. I'm Ben Phelps, and I'm joined by my regular buddy in banter. I'm hungover. It's Gabe Derrick. <laughs> and we also have a special guest this week, our awesome sound editor and designer, Sam Haywood. Welcome, Sam. Hello, everybody. Hello, podcast world. So, as Gabe and Sam know, every year, Hollywood releases two movies based on the same idea. So we ask the big question, which movie did it better? And today we're reviewing two classic twin movies about iconic superheroes who come together as a team to defeat an alien who threatens to destroy Earth. Some of them won't survive the battle. It's Justice League versus Infinity War. Let the fighting begin. So, Sam, welcome to the podcast. Mate, what inspired you to join us for this particular Twin Movies episode? Because I think it was your idea, wasn't it? Yes, it was. I just wanted to um, make Gabe watch Justice League and Infinity War because I know how much he hates these types of movies. (laughs) Hey, Sam, joke's on you. I didn't. (laughs) 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 I'm working purely from... Memory of the very first time I saw them. So it'll be impressionistic uh, sort of recollections from me. Uh, Yeah, I'm looking forward to you just grunting at the end of every segment. Well, I guess everyone loses, including including our podcast listeners, because, Sam, I must confess that I myself didn't watch both these films recently in preparation for this episode. Although I did see Infinity War with my kids about a month ago, I think I was cleaning the kitchen at the same time, so it didn't captivate me. And I did watch about half an hour of Justice League to refresh my memory last night. So that first half an hour, I've got that nailed. <laughs> well, so let's kick off this episode. I think that's the best half an hour of Justice League, actually. <laughs> I think you're right. Well, it's a pretty low bar. <laughs> yeah. Why don't we start off with speaking of uh, first impressions, as Gabe mentioned, uh, by- our flashback to our first encounter with these movies. So on the 17th of November, 2017, Justice League was released. And here's the synopsis from the Internet Movie Database. Fueled by his restored faith in humanity and inspired by Superman's selfless act, Bruce Wayne enlists the help of his newfound ally, Diana Prince, to face an even greater enemy. So let's kick this off with you, Sam. When did you originally catch Justice League when it was released and what was that experience like? Uh, I caught Justice League at the movies. It was probably it's probably very close to the opening weekend, if not the opening weekend. And um, I was I was very underwhelmed. Uh, there were moments there were moments that I liked and I came out thinking that was that looked pretty, but but I was I was very underwhelmed and disappointed. It's fair to say, Sam, you're a huge nerd, though, right? Like you love these movies. Yeah. You were, you were. I love. Yes, I do. I, I love these movies, and um, particularly the Marvel movies. But I'm a big fan of the Nolan Batman trilogy, and um, and I'm a big comic book fan in generally. So, you know, it's it's sad when the you know Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman team up, and 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 it doesn't come together. Mm. Unlike this podcast trio, for example. <laughs> yeah, I hope, yeah. Well, I hope we're more Infinity War than Justice League. Oh, nice. So you've, you've gone in with high expectations. You've walked out unhappy. Gabe, how about you? Uh, I believe I first saw Justice League. I was working interstate. I was staying in a shitty Airbnb. I was lonely and I was drunk and I thought, hey, 
Let's watch Justice League. Oh, I love these episodes where Gabe <laughs> tries to recall a film he saw drunk. Yeah. <laughs> and how that totally shaped his filmmaking experience. Yep. So this is definitely this is definitely one of those. So you haven't seen it for three years and you were drunk when you saw it? No, I mean, I probably watched it like a, uh, it must have been a year ago or something. Hey, Sam, look, I watch a lot of movies drunk. <laughs> Don't let that think that that doesn't mean that I didn't pay attention somehow or that the viewing experience wasn't uh, profound in some way, you know. Although I do remember at one point standing up, ignoring the movie and kind of like spinning around in circles. <laughs> really? Yeah, or maybe I was listening to like some music at the same time as well. Do you ever watch two movies at once? Maybe I was doing that. I don't know. But uh, look. It probably made the viewing experience better for me, to be honest, because, like, I guess unlike you, I didn't go into this thing with huge expectations. Um, I don't really go into any of these movies with huge expectations. So I, I have to say, I didn't mind it. <laughs> like, I mean, we'll get to that, but well, some of it was fine. Well, I guess my experience was split the difference. I didn't go into it with the same expectations as Sam, and I saw it sober, unlike Gabe. I went to see this film with it as a cinematic curiosity. So we'll get into this in terms of the behind the scenes of Justice League and recent news about the restored Zack Snyder cut. But for me, it was a case of it. I heard about Josh Whedon coming on board late in production, and I was just curious to see what would possibly happen when these two radically different visions clashed together. And the first scene opened, and that set the tone for me, and I was pretty disappointed. But I have watched it since then a few times and enjoyed it more, surprisingly, since that first cinematic screening. But let's say that for the review. Let's jump to our personal connection to Infinity War. So later on, about five months later, on the 27th of April, 2018, Infinity War was released. And here's the synopsis from IMDb. The Avengers and their allies must be willing to sacrifice all in an attempt to defeat the powerful Thanos before his blitz of devastation and ruin puts an end to the universe. So, Sam, walk us through when and how you first watched Avengers Infinity War. Uh, I saw, I definitely saw Infinity War on the opening weekend. And um, it might have even been a midnight screening. I think it was a midnight screening. And, uh, and unlike Justice League, it, it lived up to the hype for me and I enjoyed it immensely. I thought it was just uh, it was a, it was an amazing roller coaster of a ride, <laughs> and uh, and I saw it I saw it multiple times at the theaters, and I've seen it multiple times since. Wow, you could have learnt a, a skill <laughs> in that time. <laughs> you you could be an expert like at ikebana or something. You could have become a, a, a preeminent Japanese flower arranger. Instead, you watched Infinity War nine times. <laughs> yeah, basically, Sam's the opposite of Groundhog Day. Like if there was a sequel of Groundhog Day featuring Sam Haywood. It'd just be him watching the same movie over and over, not learning piano, not learning ice sculpting, not learning romance, just watching more and more Avengers. Fair to say? Uh, yeah, and I'd be completely content the whole time, so it would be a pretty boring movie, really. <laughs> and it's not like it's not like I can um, talk or cast aspersions on Sam, man. Like, I've watched Stuart Gordon Dagon, like, 19 times. You know, none of us, none, none of us here are destined for heaven. Gabe, walk us through when you first saw Avengers: Infinity War. Was it sober, Gabe, or tipsy, Gabe, or very drunk, Gabe? No, no, I just went to see it at the pictures like a normal person, and I did. It was fine. I went in. I sat in a chair. I ate some popcorn. I let the film wash over me. I quite enjoyed it, and that was the end of it. 
I love the game reviews. I can imagine the poster. Quote, it was fine. Unquote, Gabriel Dowrick. <laughs> I quite enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> a good time at the pictures. Well, yeah. I mean, isn't that what we all want? Just a good time at the pictures? Yeah. Well, speaking from my experience, I also saw it, I think, probably in the first few days of it opening. And again, I sort of fall somewhere between Sam and Gabe on this one. Not a massive superhero fan, but I had seen the preceding, I think, 20 Marvel movies beforehand and was looking forward to it. I didn't read comic books as a kid. I saw all the previous films uh, once. I probably saw Winter Soldier about three times. I really enjoyed that film. So I actually went in with reasonable expectations. I enjoyed myself reasonably. It was a bit of a CGI mashup for me, and so I came out, yeah, like reasonably happy. So before we jump into our combined review of these movies and ask the question, which one did it better, let's do a little bit of a quick Hollywood shallow dive into how these two films came to existence at the same time. Now, ordinarily, I would scour the internet and go to various uh, university libraries to find out the backstory of these films, or I would Google. In this case, you don't really need to because the story about these two films is pretty obvious. They're both based on previous properties that have been around for 50 to 100 years. Both came from comics that were in competition, uh, DC versus Marvel, decades ago. And the short version of the story is Marvel was making a lot of money. To give you an idea of how much money Marvel has made from these 22-plus movies, it's about $22 billion, so some serious coin. And they had a head start. They started with Iron Man in 2008, and even though DC had kicked off with their dark, gritty, unquote, universe with the Dark Knight Batman films in 2003, then 2008 and 2012, they hadn't really built their worlds and built their worlds to come together with standalone heroes to come together as the Justice League. So they basically accelerated that with the much maligned previous film, Batman v Superman, colon, or up your colon, Dawn of Justice. And that was their attempt to try and catch up with this idea of a group of superheroes that band together to defeat a giant alien, which Avengers had on the horizon. So- Here we are. Two films come out. Let's start with Justice League. Sam, did you like it? What worked for you about this film and what didn't float your boat? Um, I'll just, uh, it, I didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. (laughs) I didn't. It was, it was just, it's just bad. And you can tell so at the time, when I saw it at the movies, I got a little bit of a thrill from the opening Batman scene and I and I enjoyed the Batman scene with Commissioner Gordon on the roof when they all get together. Uh, and and I and I also liked when spoilers Superman comes at the end and he says, I believe in truth and justice or some shit like that. And and the original score from the 1977 Superman plays, just for a for a few seconds, that um that orally excited me, but um, overall, it was just a—it's just a mess. It's just and the the problems that plagued it were well publicised before it was released. So I was kind of expecting something like that, but it was worse than I thought. And uh, it's just it—it it didn't have 
unlike Infinity, I sort of feel like I should do Infinity War first, but it didn't have a compelling protagonist at all. Like, and 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 Steppenwolf's motivations just aren't clear, which I think is the biggest. Is he the? That's the villain. Steppenwolf is the villain. Yes, Steppenwolf. So, so you, you're asking me, well, everyone knows who Thanos is and uh, Steppenwolf just wasn't as compelling. Yeah, and he didn't sing Magic Carpet Ride once. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, we should probably just really quickly summarise the backstory of this film. Uh, everyone knows it, but for the podcast listeners who aren't aware, the short version of a very long story is this. DC, as I mentioned earlier, want to accelerate the coming together of the Justice League. So rather than do a sequel to Man of Steel, they did Batman v Superman, where they could bring in Batman, who everyone loves, and pit him against Superman based on one of the classic stories in a comic book lore. The Dark Knight Returns. The Dark Knight Returns, yeah. And then include a few grabs of the upcoming other superheroes. In post-production, well, actually, they started shooting Justice League when Batman v Superman opened and was critically maligned and hated by fans. And so Warner Brothers, which had the rights to the DC property, hired a few uh, key people like, is it Jeff Johns? Yes. Who was one of the figureheads that shaped and understood the stories of the DC universe to try and course correct in post-production when Zack Snyder had shot all of his movie. And so Zack Snyder had notes to try and make the film more lighthearted, more hopeful, more optimistic, like the Avengers films. But then in post-production, when they were trying to do that, tragically, Zack Snyder's daughter died of suicide and he had to walk away from the project, in which case they handed the reins to Josh Whedon, who had done a great job Joss. with the- f- Joss. It's Joss Whedon. What did I say? Josh. It's like Pam. Pan? Pam. No, I said Joss, but it just doesn't come out naturally. Joss. Joss. And they handed the keys to Josh Whedon, who'd made the previous- Joss! <laughs> I said Joss. No, you said Josh. It may be my mic. <laughs> it may be my enunciation, but I'm saying Joss. <laughs> anyway, they handed the keys to Joss, who had actually successfully put together the two Avengers movies, with the idea being, this guy's done it once well before. And of course- the guy who did a quippy, colourful, more optimistic superhero get-together before had to take the reins of footage previously shot of a darker, moodier franchise. And then we got the Frankenstein. And I think it's important, uh, you said, Josh, Joss. Joss has done it successfully once before, and that's true, only once, because his second Avengers movie, Pants. Well, that's right. And he did complain, though, when he did the second Avengers film that actually he couldn't do the film he wanted to do and that's why he walked away from these movies in the first place because the Marvel execs tried to exert too much authority over his creative vision. Whether that's true or not, that was his argument. Anywho, that's the backstory. And on the day we're recording this, which will probably be a few weeks before this podcast is released, Warner Brothers, which is now owned by Time Warner, which is releasing a new subscription beyond-demand service called HBO Max, has announced that after about three years of online enthusiasm, if you look at it positively, or toxic fandom, if you look at it negatively, the hashtag SnyderCut uh, campaign to restore Zack Snyder's original vision 
has been realised with the announcement that they're going to do a Zack Snyder version of Justice League, perhaps spread out over three and a half hours and broken up into six short episodes. And that's where we are on this day. So that's the story as to how we got this Frankenstein film called Justice League. Guys, back to you. What do you think, when you watched that film, where did you see the seams between these two visions being patched together? The, the the two visions between Zach and and Joss. Josh, no, it's Josh. Josh, Josh, <laughs> Josh. <laughs> well, I don't think they did come together. I think that's the fundamental problem with the film. Is 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 Joss came on, and it it's just not his film, and and he tried to make it into something that that it didn't. It just doesn't want to be. Um, and so I think, and, and maybe that's not just on him. Maybe that's part of like, the interference of Warner Brothers executives as well. Um, but it's pretty clear to me, like, I don't think, I, can, I watch this film and I, I can't see how a Zack cut will make it good or, or as good as what the release the Snyder Cut people want it to be because there's just so much exposition and- and the the protagonist sucks. So, but but that um, that Snyder cut must be incredibly different because if it has a whole other villain, surely that's a a fundamentally different movie. I think Snyder said, "Oh, only about a quarter of his stuff was in the theatrically released Justice League." But like it 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 therefore must be a fundamental uh, difference, unless of course his villain is exactly the same villain as Steppenwolf. They just change the hue a little bit or give him a hat. No, well, Darkseid is more of a kind of Thanos um, equivalent. So he's kind of the big bad and and uh, so so Darkseid will be a better villain. But I just Googled Darkseid, Darkseid, and he looks just like Thanos. Yes. Like, don't. These people owe each other – like, he, he looks exactly the same. He's like a, another intergalactic, you know, vegetable. They look the same because he's his uncle. That's why. Well, DC and Marvel have always stolen characters off each other, and I think this is the case. I think Darkseid might have come first and Thanos was stolen by Stan Lee, who uh, – who's notorious for plagiarising shit and taking credit for stuff that he didn't actually invent. <laughs> nice. Rip. Rip. Rip Stan. <laughs> let's, uh, let's look at this basic concept, right? If you're going to have a group of superheroes get together, then the challenge is you've got to have a baddie that's big enough, which requires them all collaborating together to take him or her down. Would you agree with that? Yes. Like that's sort of like a fundamental idea. So therefore- your villain has to be a big, 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 big bad. And our teams basically have to have complementary skills. So that to me, it's much like a heist movie, right? Yep. Each superhero has to have a skill that in isolation can't take down the villain, but coming together as a team and working hand in hand, they can. And I saw hints of that in Batman v Superman when they had this iconic moment where they introduced Wonder Woman out of nowhere at the end of that film to take down this big CGI mess of a monster. And you sort of had these moments where they were taking in turns, like between flying and punching and uh, Batman sort of like holding a gun, which is a bit weird, and not doing much at all, like because he's immortal. 
But basically, Batman, sorry, Superman and Wonder Woman are kind of taking it in turns and working in tandem to try and confuse, push over, tie up that particular monster, right? Yes. And that's the kind of thing I would expect in a team-up movie, the same sort of idea. Is that a fair enough expectation as to what you'd expect from a group of superheroes coming together? Yeah, that's that's what you'd expect, and and it's, I guess it's a difficulty for the filmmakers is the stakes have to always be increasing. So, in the very first Avengers movie, we had New York being invaded by a bunch of aliens through a portal, and also the military sending a nuclear bomb in that Iron Man had to take through the portal, and so the, the stakes are quite high. And one of the problems I think with the second movie, which which Gabe. Um, rightfully pointed out isn't very good age of Ultron is the stakes just didn't seem as high because you know he, he was lifting up a some obscure East European city into the sky and was going to drop it on the world so but it's not like who cares yeah who cares it's Eastern Europe exactly just throw it away they're probably committing uh, genocides over there anyway you know Exactly, ethnic cleansing. Yeah, that's right. So, and and it's the same. And Joss must have a thing against Eastern European cities because it's exactly the same thing with with Justice League. The stakes just don't seem that high because the last battle occurs in an East obscure East European city, and there's no extras. The only family there's one family in a van um, that that get rescued by the Flash. But apart from that, we don't see any humanity in this in this East European city. So the stakes just don't seem that high. And I think that's where um, both Age of Ultron and Justice League failed and where Infinity War succeeds because the stakes are, are, are raised uh, through the roof. And, you know, Thanos um, threatens to wipe out half of all existence. And not only that, he succeeds. Yeah, he's a much, much better... Villain, and I think Infinity War certainly does that thing um, where some of these movies really succeed, and they actually make almost a more compelling villain than the heroes who absolutely, you know, seem bland. And you can kind of come out of it and have, you know, a somewhat interesting philosophical moral thing, like you know, oh, obviously he's not right because he just killed half of everything, but you know. He has a reason that seems internally consistent for him, Um, whereas I couldn't tell you what Steppenwolf wanted or was doing. He's just... Did he just make a lava or something? Exactly. And, and look, so I I reckon... And Josh Brolin's amazing, I think, as Thanos, and he um, he's almost... You can look at it. You can watch the film from the point of view that he's he's the protagonist and the Avengers are all the antagonists because... It sort of goes through his origin, like like the origin movies of the Avengers, you know, their solo movies do. And Infinity War is sort of like Thanos's Thanos's film to the point where you know people were tweeting Thanos hashtag Thanos is right, and and we kind of see that today somewhat tongue in cheek with coronavirus, people kind of thinking, well, the Earth is healing and. Maybe we need a bit of a cull. Oh, hashtag thin the herd. Yep. That's that's sort of exo-fascist mentality. Like we don't want to change our behaviours to save the world. We just want to get rid of half half the people arbitrarily so that we continue eating in and out burgers. <laughs> Sam, I think you totally nailed it. 
in that the first Avengers film, Infinity War, which is one of two, it's an origin movie for the villain, which you never ever get. And we've had origin movies for every other superhero. It makes sense if you're going to introduce a big bad who's got to basically be taking on a decade of individual stories of these other superheroes, you need to give him or her a backstory to make them empathetic. And what's great about any villain in any movie, and this includes Thanos in this particular movie, is a villain where you can empathise with their point of view and you may not agree with their way of getting it, but you can understand it. And I think that's why Black Panther was so successful as well, because Eric Killmonger, the villain there played by Michael B. Jordan, was the same. Like, you don't agree with his means justify the ends mentality, but you can actually understand his idea. Like, his idea is, let's try and share the technology that this incredibly affluent, fictional African country has with the rest of the world, and a rising tide floats all boats. Now, his execution was a bit maniacal, but I always think that if you can get on board with a baddie and think, well, they're not insane, their ideas are right, it's just the way they're going about it seems entirely unreasonable. But, you know, there's a kernel of a good idea there, and Thanos is the same. I mean, ironically, this tyrant, this dictator of the galaxy, pretty much shares the same ideology as many environmentalists, which is there are too many people, there's too much pressure on all these planets on the earth. So let's just, as Gabe just mentioned, thin the herd. So to me, it's a smart move. You do a whole film setting up this character so you understand who he is, and then you can save essentially what would be ordinarily a third act fight for the second movie, which is Endgame. Whereas in Justice League, you drop this character on board who, to me, looks like a, I don't know, a PlayStation 2 villain. Like, the CG is terrible. His motivation is so simplistic. Like, it's just basically, let's rule the galaxy. To me, that's such a traditional, played-out trope of a villain. Like, we've seen that through a billion two-dimensional James Bond uh, villains in the past, To me, I'm just sort of surprised it gets past base one when you're screenwriting this type of story. And maybe the reason why they stuck with it is because they're trying to stick to the source material. But the source material has become a cliche in decades since. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Steppenwolf, who is the main villain in this Josh, 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 Josh Whedon version. Justice League. (laughs) Jocelyn Whedon. (laughs) Jossie and the Pussycats, um, is that I guess you could have had in the original Zack Snyder cut, which we'll see on HBO Max coming to you soon, in the future, we'll maybe see the relationship between Steppenwolf and is Darkseid his uncle Sam? Is that right? There's some sort of family lineage, isn't there? Uh, Oh, I don't, I actually, I'm not that much of a nerd that I know. I think it's his uncle and so therefore there's some sort of, heritage there. But I think they pretty much share the same ambition, which is intergalactic dictatorship. Yes. I, I have some nerd friends who are going to be scoffing at me not knowing the relationship between Steppenwolf and Darkseid. But I just all I know is Steppenwolf is sort of an underling of Darkseid doing his bidding, much like Loki was in the original Avengers movie, was doing Thanos' bidding. Right. So basically, though, the motivation of these villains in this film is pretty much identical to Man of Steel, which is yes, aliens land and they basically want to 
suck the life force out of Earth and make it useful to them by either terraforming it or taking advantage of it in some way and humans are dispensable. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. But the big difference, I think, between the two movies is Infinity War allows Thanos to explain his motivations and kind of justify them, whereas in Justice League, we're told about what Steppenwolf's plans are through Wonder Woman, you know, in a flashback to what happened hundred thousands of years ago. And it's just, it's just this kind of nonstop exposition and, and Steppenwolf himself doesn't get to explain his motivations. Apparently in the Zack Snyder plan, there were going to be five movies, including Batman v Superman and the first one, Man of Steel. Yeah. So this would have been Justice League part one, then Justice League part two, and then a fifth film at the end of that. Yes. Uh, worst case scenario, at least four films. So whether we'll see that in this HBO Max version uh, is to be determined, but perhaps we would have had more time spent with the villain in that vision to understand their motivation. But even if we did, Sam and Gabe, don't you kind of feel, though, we might get more context, but isn't the motivation going to be, again, that same two-dimensional villain idea of, you know, intergalactic dictatorship? Like, sure, we understand, we hear about it more and we appreciate it, but it's not a particularly original motivation. No, I guess it felt like to me, though, that at least in Man of Steel, um, the villain was played by a human. And this is going to sound controversial. And I think we might have even talked about this before, Ben, but I still kind of wish that Thanos was played by a human and not a big CG guy. I get that the CGI is fucking fantastic and they even, you know, had stubble and all of these, you know, amazing effects. But I don't know, he's he's still just a big CGI vegetable-looking motherfucker. And I just wonder, like, what would the movie be if he was a guy played by an actor and he had, like, a cool jacket? <laughs> <laughs> like Lex Luthor. Maybe. But, like, you know, like, I don't know. I just find as soon as the villain is CGI, there's invariably going to be these really dull, huge CGI fight fuck fests where they just – it's just lights and – and movement and CGI sprites bouncing around on screen, and it's so tiring. I mean, look, the design of Thanos is so much better than the design of Stepan Wolf, um, who I, I'm, you know, I like a good helmet, but I just don't understand his helmet. Um, but he's human looking anyway. Like, why not just have got, you know, hire a, a bloody actor to do it? He's just a little bit taller. Just doesn't make sense to me. Also, too, I think it's a problem with both these films where you have people of ordinary strength, more or less, like basically human. Batman, uh, at a stretch, um, what's his name? Um, Captain America. No, Captain America is super strong. Sure, he's really strong. Okay. but <laughs> No, Black Widow's normal. Black Widow. Okay, so Black Widow and some of those fighters from uh, Wakanda. Yes. And you see them doing like, what's that move that all those women superheroes do where they jump on men's shoulders wrap their thighs around their head and twist them. There's some sort of move. It's like the it's so hot right now female superhero move for ordinary powered women. Um, it's kind of a bit- It's quite erotic, isn't it? I don't know. Famke Jansen started it as Xenia on a top in GoldenEye. She's the original and the best. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, hers was more sort of sexy and then more innuendo, of course. I mean, the name says it all. But it, it, it is always a bit goofy when you have these final fight scenes and you've got this monster, this alien, Thanos, who could basically just- flick his finger and someone's head would cave in. 
but they're all doing their like, little moves and, de- you know, like they're, they're trying to bring these different skills together and you you suspend reality. I get it. You go with it and whatever. But, Gabe, to address your point, it'd be challenging to have a Lex Luthor-esque character in either movie when the villain is so powerful that no matter how smart you are, it'd be very difficult to be able to try and battle against that particular villain because, you know, your brain your brain can't. But Ben, I'm not I'm not suggesting you cast Mark Zuckerberg as the fucking um, Thanos. You know, you get you get someone who's big and has big big muscles. You know, or you put him in a funny muscle suit. The mountain. Yeah, you get that guy. That guy. That huge cunt from um, Game of Thrones. Yeah. Oh, you mean, sorry, you're talking about actually the casting. You mean actually he's still playing an alien, but it's actually using a real person rather than CG. Yeah, totally. I don't know. I just don't like CG villains. It's real boring. That's fair enough. I agree, Gabe. Like, I actually did find Thanos to be too ethereal from my point of view. And I get it. Like, his paws, his whiskers, like, it's groundbreaking. But- Whenever you've got a character that is a certain colour, like blue in Avatar or green in the Ang Lee Hulk film, or in this case, purple, they always look a bit goofy. And I agree that if you actually had someone like that huge muscly guy from Game of Thrones painted purple, to me, it would actually feel more grounded. <laughs> it can't be painted purple. This is a big purple custard chucker. <laughs> <laughs> a big walking eggplant. Um. Tell me this, um, what are your thoughts on superhero films like this when you've got a goodie who is so powerful that it kind of underwhelms the entire film? Example A is Superman in Justice League where basically they're losing until he comes alive and then helps them save the day or Captain Marvel in Avengers Infinity War or maybe it's Endgame when she turns up where basically- Endgame. Endgame. So this character is so powerful, as powerful if not more powerful than Thanos- that they have to make up excuses that she's too busy saving other galaxies <laughs> to be able to be helping them all the time because if they bring her in, she'll always instantly win and therefore there are no stakes. Same problem with Superman. What are your thoughts on that? Like what is a better way to resolve this situation than making the excuse that they're, they've got a clash in their diary with something else? A <laughs> clash in their diary. I mean, I guess a better way would be for the villain to foresee that their threat and take them out using poison or something or 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 kryptonite or as as Lex does in Batman versus Superman turn the two heroes against each other yeah which is what happens in civil war as well like the villain turns the heroes against each other which i guess is the better way to do it than just kind of say oh she was in galaxy 459 fighting someone else yeah, I think you're spot on there because you basically take all of their strengths and just invert them, don't you? Yeah. You know, each they each become their own cancer, which is a pretty good way of tackling it. But have Mar- have Marvel created a problem for themselves then with Captain Marvel and that even if they do another standalone movie for that character, the scope and strength of that villain almost has to be so great. You know, they spent 20 movies building up to Infinity War, but now in any movie with Captain Marvel, the villain of that will have to be so powerful that that villain itself could have been more powerful than Thanos. Yeah, it's it's a problem with the OP characters, definitely. But I think what happens with those characters, it ends up being an internal struggle. You know, they have to overcome their own demons rather than some sort of external um, antagonist. Ah, nice, their own demons. 
Or the other way, I suppose, is to try and blend both. You basically lean into the idea of their internal struggle, like you mentioned, Sam, but also perhaps they voluntarily give up their power, which I think happened in, was it the original uh, Christopher Reeve, uh, the second Superman film where that happened, where he decided to return to a normal life and so therefore was disempowered for a short window of time, which therefore created a gap for the villain to try and get ahead. Yes. Am I recalling the right movie? Yes, that's right. Yep. I don't know. That always seems pat to me, like overdone. And who really wants to see Superman just walking around like a normal guy? Then he's just just normal man. Yes. And who cares? If I want to watch a normal man movie, I'll watch any other movie. Yeah, Lois wanted to fuck Superman. She didn't want to fuck Clark. Let's be real. Yeah, that's right. That's right. (laughs) So where do we go from here with these two franchises? We know that Justice League is going to be reincarnated in this different form. And to give you some stats, apparently Zack Snyder had shot all of the footage beforehand, was in post. Now, he would have probably done a few pickups, some extra shoots afterwards, but more or less he had all of his footage. And then 85% of that footage ended up in the Joss Whedon version, plus other stuff that Joss Whedon shot. So there's a lot of film on the cutting room floor, which will appear in this longer three and a half hour version. But moving forward beyond that extended version of Justice League and moving to whatever phase we're up to, phase four, I think, in the Marvel Universe, where do you go now? Like you've explored the idea with Thanos of someone who's just trying to seek a reasonable balance across the galaxy by taking out one and two beings and you've got the dictatorship model in Justice League. If you're a studio executive for either Marvel or DC now going forward, and you need to try and find a new way of tackling a big bad and still maintaining characters like Captain Marvel, how would you go about it to execute best on this idea for the next team-up movie? Ooh, that's a tough one. Hey, Sam, Sam, you might know, at the end of any of the post-Avengers movies, have they had any, have they actually made any post-Avengers movies yet? I don't know. But have they set up a new, like, have they done one of those ominous shots at the end where they, like, pan up to some sort of, you know, intergalactic throne room and reveal, like, the hand of a new villain? No, we haven't got a new big bad, and there's speculation about who that will be. Um, so, no, we don't. We had, the only thing we've had post- uh, Endgame was Spider-Man Far From Home and that's where, you know, Spider-Man deals with Jake Gyllenhaal but um, which is a much more down-to-earth villain in a, in a solo movie but it's kind of he's dealing with the aftermath of Endgame and, and losing his mentor Tony Stark and um, that grief. It's kind of a grieving movie Ugh. and so I think that works for one or two movies you know, it's it's going to be interesting what they do because um, Captain America got old and gave his shield to uh, the Falcon, and that they're going to have their own TV series. Ugh. And um, I don't know what they're going to do. Look, Tyker's making another Thor movie, Thor: Love and Thunder. So I'm sure that'll be fun. Yeah, that's true. I'll I'll see that one on video. One of the best things about having seen the two Avengers movies for me was finally freeing me from the obligation to go to the Marvel movies at the movies. I feel like it drew a line very neatly under it uh, for me in my life. Um, I saw a lot of them. I saw these two. I had a great time, and then that's it for me. You know, I'll I'll hang up the the going to the Marvel movies as a as a what do you call it as an event. Um, nothing against them. 
everyone else can do that, but for me, it drew a neat little line under him. Um, I have to say, I have to say, I'm super keen though to watch the Snyder, J- Zack Snyder version of Justice League. I find that much more fascinating. The differences between them and the politics around it, and the way you know you could have these two filmmakers and making very radically different cuts to be really interesting. You know, someone who owns like five versions of the '78 Dawn of the Dead and four versions of Once Upon a Time in America, and I love those side by side. Um, uh, looking at films side by side with the, you know, if you take stuff out or put it in, what sort of a difference does it make? So, so I'd have to say I'm much more pumped for a, a Zack Snyder cut of Justice League than I am for uh, watching 20 more Marvel movies to finally get to another new big villain. But that's just me. I agree. I agree, actually, actually. And um, I it's not just the cut and the footage that's going to be different. Zach, Zach's got a completely different style to Joss. And I think there was some big I, – I, it's going to be better for sure. And one of the biggest differences is going to be the score will be done by Junkie XL, who did – who did the you know the the great Wonder Woman theme that was in Batman vs Superman, and um, he 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 was also the composer on Mad Max Fury Road, which is fantastic, and and it's a very different style of of score to what Danny Elfman brought to the scene, which just seemed very stock and underwhelming to me. Totally, and and that'll change the that'll change the film um, drastically. But you know, people ding uh, Jocelyn for having a style that's very sort of flat and TV. Yes. Whereas love him or hate him, at least Zack Snyder's films are cinematic, notwithstanding the the actual quality of the, the narrative or whatever, but they are very, I guess, nicely made. You know, the mise-en-scene or whatever always feels like quite well thought and executed. Yeah. Yeah, he might. The Man of Steel undoubtedly is. I, I think it's a it's a good film, and the action's fantastic. It's the first time you really see what these, you know, superhuman people fighting would really kind of look like, and and that that was lacking in Justice League. You know, there's. Th- but do you think that's because they they intent purposefully? you know, moved the fights in Justice League away from buildings because a whole bunch of, like, yes. fucking internet pussies were like, oh, but all this, like, fake civilians, you fucks, died. Like, imaginary people. Yeah, no, it's bullshit. They, Man of Steel, they destroyed Metropolis at the end and and Superman broke Zod's neck, which is kind of out of character and a lot of people were kind of curious about that. But then they spent a lot of Batman versus Superman apologising for that and in that final fight they were like, oh, it's lucky they're in that abandoned section of Gotham City and, and oh, there's no civilians there, so that's lucky. Um, they, I, l- I like how they um, apologise for Superman killing someone by having Batman kill lots of people. Yeah, well, Batman, I mean, you can get into these arguments with nerds where Batman in the Dark Knight series kills people, but it's kind of more of an accident. In Batman vs Superman, he seems to relish it, which is sort of against his nature as well. But then in Justice League, they, they, they apologise again <laughs> for, um, for that. And they make Batman a complete pussy. Like it's just, it's like the exe- the exec. It's a classic example of executives having way too much power in filmmaking, and um, and just apologising for the previous film rather than 
they should just double down and fucking see where it goes. Totally. I agree. And look, I, I'm, I'm not a big comic book nerd or whatever, but I don't give a shit if Batman out there wasting people. I'm sure the people he's killing are bad and deserved it. Yes. Yeah. And I, it doesn't bother me that much either. Um, and, 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 and it's a shame because Affleck does look good in the cowl. You know, you mentioned something earlier, Sam, that I really think that Zack Snyder did really well with these films. And what lets these films down are actually the script, but not Zack Snyder, is that he said, if you had someone like Superman land on Earth, it'd be like Jesus coming. Now, you can complain, people have complained, that the religious iconography he infused in Man of Steel and Batman v Superman was too much. But the analogy he was making was pretty reasonable. If you had this superhero being land on Earth who could essentially perform miracles, then it would basically just break the religious fabric around the world and people would be confused because if you believed in gods A, B, C, and D, you'd go, oh, shit, it's actually God E that's actually here right now and has the same powers of the other god or gods that we believed in. So that to me is really interesting. And isn't there some sort of backstory in comic history where there's a series called New Gods or something like that where they do speak of these superheroes like gods, which is different to Marvel where those superheroes have much more modest superhero powers yes. and are grounded in recognisable cities like New York City? Yeah, yeah. No, the, that kind of conflict with people and their their either worship or wariness of Superman, that 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 runs through the comics as well. And and the superheroes in in Marvel are are very much more grounded. So that that's definitely you know, I think and I think Zach was right to explore those themes which seem to be abandoned in Justice League as well. Yeah, maybe apart from a very oh, or is that Batman versus Superman? No, the bit with like funny CGI face on Cavill, they sort of mention it briefly in sort of retrospect there. But, yeah, it it seems almost a shame to drop that because I think at least philosophically it's an interesting question, like should we have someone on Earth with that much power, you know? Well, that's Lex's question, isn't it? And, and even Batman in Batman vs Superman. So it, it it's definitely and, – and, and also – Doctor Manhattan in in Watchmen is it kind of really explores that question as well, and he he says, "All right, fuck off, I'm going to Mars then," um, and leaves. Yeah, that's true, and kind of much more interestingly in that they sort of go, "Oh, if you were a god, maybe you'd be kind of like apathetic towards humans." Yes, I I, I guess it's interesting. I watched that movie Brightburn. Is that what it's called? Brightburn the other day, yep. which basically does, oh, they find Superman as a baby, only he turns out to be a little asshole. So it's like, um, <laughs> you know, we need to talk about Kevin via Superman. <laughs> Great pitch. And and I thought, oh, that's actually an interesting idea because, like, if you realise that for the first 14 years of your life you couldn't be hurt, you could fly, you'd just get up to mischief like and bad shit. Yeah. You know, it'd put a lot of bad ideas in your head. And you know, imagine if that cunt discovered like some of those dark rabbit holes of the internet, you know, maybe starts with the Joe Rogan podcast, but then <laughs> but then tumbles down some, you know. So no, like nothing wrong with, with the Joe Rogan experience, but, you know, like that and then Joe Rogan just has like Ben Shapiro on and young superpowered Superman is like, oh, where are we going with this? And before you know it, he's listening to Peterson and only eating red meat. Miley Yiannopoulos and... <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, he, Superman red-pilled himself and became a fucking internet douchebag. There's a great comic called Red Sun where uh, Superman's capsule lands in the Soviet Union and he's brought up there and becomes a soldier for, for communism. <laughs> yeah, that seems like a cool idea. Yeah, so that's that's quite a that's quite a cool idea that was explored in a comic by Mark Miller, and and they did an animated version of it. Um, so yeah, that 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 I think I think that's much more interesting. It is interesting that you know landing in Middle America and being raised by <clears throat> by by rural American folks is the ideal situation for for a godlike creature, and didn't just make him a Trump supporter. Yes. Yeah, he's like you know he lands in a red state, and um, but I mean even that would be interesting, you know. Like what if what if Superman was a uh, you know sort of keep America great again hat on running around doing dumb shit. Well, in in the Dark Knight Returns, that's Batman's problems with him. So it's the kind of the opposite of Batman versus Superman, where the authorities kind of can't want to crack down on Superman, and Batman Batman doesn't trust him. Whereas in Dark Knight Returns. Superman is a stooge of a Reagan-like president and wants to shut down Batman for his vigilante activities. So, um, yeah, very much so. Superman is that kind of uh, all-American Republican stooge that would probably frown upon Copernic kneeling for the anthem. Ha, that's right. What a loser. (laughs) Um, Superman, not Copernic, just to be clear. Um. <laughs> you know, you mentioned before the idea gave of uh, Superman being raised as a MAGA supporter. That opening sequence with that terrible CG to try and cover up the moustache that Henry Cavill had while shooting Mission Impossible and the kids asking him, what does the S stand for? And he says, it's not an S, it stands for something else. I've got this image of the kids saying, what does MAGA stand for? <laughs> and he kind of like looks wistfully into the horizon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, you brought you brought it up then, Ben. But it is mind-boggling to me that they would leave that scene in with those VFX. Oh my god! The, the movie doesn't hinge on needing that scene. You could have dropped it. Did no one through all of post, through every screening, all the execs, all the VFX guys, the director ever just go, "That is so shitty looking. Why don't we just cut that?" Because we will be a laughing stock. To me, it says that they gave up. I mean, there's no way that you can be invested in something passionately and care, you know, really care for it and say, we're going to release the film with that opening sequence. Like, it would be a classic case where the better person, if they were passionate, and that's the problem, they probably weren't at this stage, just said, you know what? Just cut it, cut the scene. Because it doesn't add anything. It takes away. Like, you didn't need that opening sequence in any way. It did, it's not like it actually characterised Superman to be incredibly optimistic and then in one 30-second sequence totally negated the preceding two films, which I think was the objective, in which case, lose it. It's not even a good bookend. It's not like they even come back to it at the end. No, exactly. I mean, a question's asked and therefore the question by the kid, you expect the question to be answered either directly at a, as a bookend, as you say, Sam, or by the film itself. Yeah. And does neither. But didn't the previous movie already answer that? Doesn't the S stand for hope? Yeah, he says that in, in Man of Steel. He says the S stands for hope. And she says, well, it's it. Which but doesn't make any sense because there's no S in the word hope. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Fucking Kryptonians. God damn it. Like the S stands for soap. <laughs> 
I mean, or s- salvation, you know, pick at least pick a fucking word with an S in it. God damn it. Sexy times. You know, this is where they stand with these films. I think what they should do is you mentioned Red Sun before, Sam. Yep. If I was DC now, they've already discovered that it's better just to pursue different types of films like Joker, like Wonder Woman, to have their own tone with the fingerprints of the writer and director and producers all over them, which are distinct from each other, and they're not having to try and coalesce these stories into one universe like Marvel. That seems to be paying off for them. Their most successful films have been their films which are quite distinct from each other. Yes. So why not do the same thing? And- you struggle with Superman for so long. People call the idea of the character quaint. He's complex as a character because it's hard to defeat him unless you've got kryptonite. It's always the same cliche every time. The, comp- the character isn't as complex or as vulnerable as Batman. So in which case, why not just basically make the Red Sun movie? Uh, and also, whatever either these particular universes do, DC or Marvel, give yourselves a really long runway of films before you have to have another intergalactic battle. So basically, do the same thing as Spider-Man Homecoming or Far From Home, where essentially you have a villain who's actually human. Like, that to me was great. Putting aside the grieving storyline, the idea that he was actually a disgruntled employee who used trickery as magic, like drones and so on. That was great. Like, grounded in humans, uh, the previous Spider-Man did the same thing with that particular villain. Yeah, Spider-Man just fights um, laid-off working-class guys. (laughs) Like, Yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing, right? He's your your friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man. So with all these stories, just start off with a really low base of villains Killmonger's the same in Black Panther, who are regular humans, and just exhaust those first before building up to another international or interspace fight. Because once you get to that in space level, it's just so hard to maintain stakes and you kind of like run out of room to go and then you end up with a character like Marvel. You can't keep raising the stakes. Exactly. So just stay as low stakes as possible. Like that's what I loved about the first Iron Man, right? Yeah. The first half of the film is him just building this thing in a cave. And he's up against regular people, like in this case, terrorists. Like, just keep it grounded, keep it grounded, keep it grounded. And I suppose the Batman stories, which is kind of the anomaly in the DC universe where the rest of them are all effectively gods, means that Batman can be continued over and over again because the Riddler the Penguin, uh, the Joker, they're all regular people, which means you're always grounding it in actual hand fights or guns or martial arts, but it's not going to be as – you'll have stakes that are uh, quantifiable and stakes that your average viewer can understand and appreciate. Um, Like, in some respects, the stakes in a Batman film are actually lower than a Fast and Furious film these days. Like, the latest Fast and Furious trailer has those guys slingshotting cars through the air – um, and they're looking to go space soon. Like those films, which were more grounded in reality, have become more outlandish and superheroish, and thus I think the stakes will just become too too obscure to appreciate compared to a Batman film, including the upcoming one, which they say is the most grounded of the grounded dark and gritty Batman films. Wait, 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 Ben, did you say in a Fast and Furious movie coming up they're going to go to space? So it's been a, a, a joke Forever and ever, like, where else can they go? Oh, that'd be fucking awesome. And the screenwriter, uh, Chris Morgan, has spoken of this 
And there is talk that actually might happen next. And uh-huh. Mission Impossible is going to go to space apparently soon. Tom Cruise is trying to prepare to do a space movie. But the latest trailer of the Fast and Furious films show the cars have become like like matchbox toy things. It makes the scene you saw where the car jumped from one skyscraper to the other in Dubai look like a chicken feed compared to what's coming up. Dominic Toretto, he just drives to the moon. Boom, boom, you know, he just he gets enough. He like hits that nos, like just enough of it, like off. Well, you know what? If there's family on the moon. There's enough drive to get there, right? That's right. Do it for family. That's right. Um, all right, guys, we should uh, wrap up this review and get onto our awards. Let's just bang through a few of the uh, the small ones here. Uh, Spot the Aussie. Were there any Aussies in Justice League or Infinity War? Uh, Chris Hemsworth as Thor. Oh, well played, sir. <laughs> Anyone else? I think he wins. I don't. I don't know if there's there's no Australians in um, Justice League that I can remember. Although there, Drazik was in Batman vs Superman as Goon number four. Fuck yeah, Drazik. Yeah, henchman number six. Yeah. Let's uh, let's jump ahead then. I think we've already covered some of the marketing madness and missteps and the production backstory. So let's get into the box office. What do you say? Unless there are any final comments on these two films. Sam, you first. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, I mean, you, the, the Marvel approach to these films is to build up a bunch of solo films and then have the team up, um, conflict within the team, big, bad, they get together and overcome it. Um, and the Justice League playing catch up was a big, big problem for them because they just had to fill the film with so much exposition. Like, oh, this is Cyborg and he's this way because his dad, Miles Dyson, you know, saved him from a, <laughs> from a car crash and, oh, and Aquaman and, and, oh, here's Amber Heard. And, and you're like, who the fuck is that? If Aquaman, the solo movie came out before Justice League, it would have saved half an hour of of Justice League having to explain who he is. Totally. Gabe, any final thoughts? Yeah, it's interesting that we spent most of this time talking about Justice League um, because, you know, Avengers is an incredibly, you know, um, competently made movie, the culmination of this, you know, billion-dollar franchise and really does what it does pretty well, I guess. You know, I certainly wouldn't want to be one of those people who's like, oh, let's give this movie Oscars. But, you know, you get, you certainly get what you paid for. But what's more interesting, or maybe it's just because we have a particular interest in the filmmaker, a very well done piece of confection or a kind of much more interesting turkey which has a kind of great big backstory and, you know. So it's just kind of interesting to me that, you know, we what did we say about Avengers Infinity War? Not much. Not a lot, no. You're right. And it's, and it, and it's clearly, clearly the better movie by, like, by a long shot. Yeah. Um, but, but we spend most of the time talking about this kind of, like, you know, um, muto turkey. People love a car crash, Gabe. That's true. That's true. Um, particularly Cyborg's dad. <laughs> Uh, well, it could have been worse. They could have included a scene like George Miller, George Miller, George Lucas did in the prequels, where we had that kind of Frankenstein esque inspired scene of Darth Vader rising at the end of <laughs> Avenger the Sith. Remember that? No. Uh, 
So let's be thankful there wasn't too much, you know, of the uh, the Frankenstein influence laid over this film. Be thankful for Small Mercies. Hmm. All right, let's jump to Rotten Tomatoes. No, sorry, let's jump to the box office. So I think we have the answer here. Um, not even at a point in guessing. Justice League made for uh, almost three hundred million dollars, apparently with reshoots and so on, did 230 domestically plus 429 million internationally for a grand total of $658 million, which sounds like a lot, but apparently they lost $60 million on this film given how much it cost to make and market. Whereas Avengers Infinity War, one of the most successful films of all time, uh, made for a similar price, did Six hundred and seventy million domestically in the states, Jesus, plus one point four billion internationally for a grand total of two billion dollars, which is pretty insane. Is that the highest grossing film ever? No, I think Endgame was, wasn't it? Oh, Endgame, right, of course. And Endgame beat uh, Avatar. Yes. So let's jump to Ron Tomatoes. These scores may surprise you. So have a guess. I think you know which one was more popular, but by how much? Have a guess of the critic score, starting with you, Sam, for Justice League. Uh, Justice League critic score, I reckon, in Rotten Tomatoes will be around 52%. Oh, okay, Gabe. Uh, that's very. That's a very specific guess there, Sam. <laughs> I've been on 4chan. <laughs> I reckon it'll be uh, somewhere around uh, 17%. So Justice League scored with 40% with critics versus 85% for Infinity War. Now, Sam, have a guess at Justice League with the fans. Well, this is tricky because Rotten Tomatoes has been gamed by particularly DC fans um, and the the edgelords of 4chan. So it could be quite high. Um but hang on, wouldn't those fans be fans of Zack Snyder, in which case they would actually give it a low score? Oh, that's true. That's true. They, But, they, yeah, I don't think they like that. They want the Zack Snyder cut. Okay, let's say let's say 30% for the fans. Ooh, okay, Gabe. Well, that's, that's, that's low. Um, do you think they would be bombing the Avengers or any Marvel movies down then? They might be knocking this one down, but the, you know, uh, critics are paid shills for Disney. Oh, man, this is like a pretzel wrapped in a snake. Okay. I do think they bomb the, um, they bomb, like it, when there's, when like the Captain Marvel film, I do think they, they bam, bombed that. And I think whenever there's a female protagonist, they kind of go for those films, like The Last Jedi and, and, and which, you know, was, was, I, I quite like The Last Jedi, but they don't like Mary Sue's, so they'll um, they go after those films. Mm, losers. <laughs> All right. So Justice League scored seventy one percent with the audience. There you go. Get this from one hundred and twenty seven thousand user ratings, but Infinity War scored ninety one percent. But interestingly, only from fifty eight thousand user ratings. Wow. And, and a lot more people would have seen Infinity War too, which just goes to show. Exactly. So there's some gaming in the system going on there. Yeah, 100%. I'm not sure that it actually helped or hurt, hurt the score, but yeah, there you go. So no surprises really overall. All right, Sam, Gabe, time for the awards. Are you primed? Are you ready? I'm ready. Yes. All right. Chess out 
flex those pecs like a superhero. Let's start with best title, starting with Justice League or Infinity War. Sam. Oh, best title. I actually think Justice League is a better title. Yeah, I agree, Gabe. Yeah, fine. <laughs> Infinity War is pretty obscure. I guess Avengers slash Infinity War is... Is a is is a little better, but again, yeah, it's just it's kind of like it's kind of like Fast and Furious twelve, isn't it? Yeah, I agree. If you didn't know what Justice League was about, and you someone said to you, "Hey, I'm making a movie called Justice League," what would you think that movie was about? Though, would you be like, "Oh, it's Ruth Bader Ginsburg teaming up with someone to solve a crime"? <laughs> I would think that's a group of judges that get together at lunchtime to play touch footy, and they're like a league of you know, amateur sportsman. Or maybe it's an Australian version of The Last Boy Scout. Oh, shit, I'd watch that. Set in the rugby league world. Oh, <laughs> Gabe would watch the shit out of that. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Sam, what you should do is just get The Last Boy Scout script and just change every reference to NFL to just rugby league. Yeah. Call the main guy like Darren or something. Boom. Yeah. Yeah, and who would we get in the Bruce Willis role? Oh, it's that guy from The Final Winter. What's his name? The ex-rugby league player. Matty Nabel. Matt Nabel, perfect. Yeah, I think we can do better than that. But he's the only actor who can play football. Or is he the, is he the mentor? He's like the sort of, uh, who's the guy that Liam Neeson played in Batman Begins? Raz al Ghul. Exactly. Yes. That's Matt Nabel. <laughs> <laughs> Did he have a, like a weird porno moustache in that movie, um, Liam Neeson? Yeah. Uh, weird. Liam Neeson could be in porn. Apparently he's, he's packing. Has he, has he ever got his dong out in a movie? Not that I know of. But um, at the end, <laughs> at the end of every Hollywood Babylon, they have, they have the jokes, which is Kevin Smith's uh, podcast with Ralph Garman. They have, they do. Liam Neeson's cock is so big, and then they have a joke. You know, Liam Neeson's cock is so big it outgrossed Infinity War at the box office. Huh, nice. That kind of thing. Let's segue with that and porno moustaches to the Henry Cavill moustache for best poster. So. <laughs> Uh, Justice League versus Infinity War. Now, there were a few different posters. Uh, let's look at the Justice League one. For the podcast listeners who have an app at home, you'll see it put the posters side by side on your iPhone or Android screen. Now, the Josh, 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 Jocelyn Whedon poster, and I say that because it was so brightly coloured that to me it didn't feel like the sort of design that Zack Snyder would have actually rubber-stamped, has essentially the five superhero characters minus Superman facing the screen and says, you can't save the world alone. The Avengers one is the usual Avengers sort of situation, which is a mishmash of characters in various poses. Guys, of those two posters, which one do you prefer? I prefer the Avengers poster. Um, I don't really... It's not a great poster, but the downlighting in that Justice League poster is weird. Gal Gadot looks weird. She doesn't look like Gal Gadot. Yeah, you're right. I don't know. I guess because they've come together. It's like a school photo, isn't it, basically? They're all posing, looking towards the camera. And you're right. She doesn't look like herself. And that lettering, you can't you can't, you can't, can't save the world alone with all of their logos. It, it does. It looks like a, it looks like a, a high school photo in um, a high school magazine done on Photoshop graphic. It's weird. They're like It's like in Wingdings. Yeah. Fucking Wingdings. You got you to gotta admire the ability of the Avengers Infinity War designer to get every fucking character in there. It's just a lot, a lot, there's a lot of people there, you know? There's a lot going on. Look, I'm only going to give it to the Avengers myself because I liked the similarity where they have Robert Downey Jr. putting his hands out 
which you also see in the Thor Ragnarok poster as well. Yes. So they kind of like maintain that idea of it's almost like a an Egyptian or religious aesthetic, like the crucifixion or something, which I quite appreciate. Very Jesus-like, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Shall we just give it to Avengers Infinity War as the better of two evils? Sure. Why not? All right. Moving on to the Bill Fleck Big Break Award. So who in the spirit of Billy Bob Thornton and Ben Affleck jumped from indie films into the Hollywood big time in either of these movies, starting with Justice League? Sam. Who's the dude that plays The Flash? He's Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller. It's what what else has he been in? I think he's the he is the he is the correct answer, surely. <laughs> is he the guy from We Need to Talk About Kevin? Yeah, yeah. Which Gabe referenced before? Okay. Well, he's clearly the winner, right, in that one. Or you could say Ray Fisher, who played Cyborg. Yeah. He's a possibility as well, although he hasn't kicked on with the career afterwards. Uh, let's look at Avengers Infinity War. Any contenders there? I think they were all pretty famous already. Yeah, Karen Gillan, who played Nebula, had already played that character before, hadn't she? So everyone had sort of already been in a few. But she's great. She's she's actually that's I think she's that's the performance of the film, and and like it's very over the top. I think she's very good as Nebula. I agree. I agree. Okay, let's jump on that. Let's give it to her. Let's give it to Ezra Miller. Now, Gabe, I know you're very passionate about both these movies, so please jump in at any stage and uh, arm wrestle me for if you have a change of opinion. Okay. Did you? Did you know Peter Dinklage was in Infinity War? I don't remember him in that at all. Yeah, he's he's the um he's coming up for an award that the um oh look who that look that guy award. Oh okay, well I'll we'll we'll talk about that then then. All right, the before they were famous award or blink and you'll miss them in Justice League. Was anyone there that appeared that we hadn't even heard of before, but who's gone to have a career since? I don't think so. I think, once again, they're all kind of reasonably famous beforehand and there weren't any newbies, were there? No, I don't think there were any newbies. Um, I mean, I guess Ray, Ray I don't know, what, what was Ray Fisher in before this? Well, I guess the key thing is he hasn't been in anything since. <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah. I think there's a few There's a few um, candidates for ruining their career with Justice League. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um and I can't see anyone in Avengers Infinity Wars, so I'm going to call this one a draw, guys. Sure. They're too new. They're too new. We don't know if, you know, uh, David Thewlis, who played Ares, will go on to some sort of career. True. Maybe he will. Maybe he will. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, the Tommy Lee Jones Show Stiller Award. Who stole the show despite being in a small or poorly written role as Tommy Lee did in The Fugitive, starting with Justice League? Uh, I can't, I can't, uh, no, no one. No, no vote from Sam. Nobody. Nobody. Nobody stole the show. I've got it. Uh, I've got Connie Nielsen. I love her and everything. So Connie's my nominee. She plays Queen Hippolyta or something like that. And Avengers Infinity War. There wasn't really anyone. Scoop Agnery was fantastic in the preceding film. Sorry, in the, uh, other DC movie, but in Avengers Infinity War, no one really jumped out. I mean, very solid performance by Vin Diesel as Groot. Very solid. <laughs> uh, I, I I don't know, maybe you put at a stretch, oh, Stan Lee is bus driver. How's that? <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd give this one to Nebula because as, as she's in a fairly small role, but I think she, she outperforms anyone she's in a scene with. All right, Karen Gillian, you get it. Nominated by Sam and no... 
Uh, let's move on then to Gabe's favourite award, the Mickey Rourke Award, named in honour of the troubled actor who squandered his chance to kick on with bigger roles. Who didn't make the most of their opportunities after appearing in these films? Starting with Justice League, Gabe, why don't you kick it off? I mean, Ben Affleck has almost Mickey Rourke himself throughout his career like four times. The, it, it, good, good on Ben for overcoming all of his like demons and you know booze and coke and shit to and Jennifer Lopez to constantly reinvent himself. And even almost off the back of this, didn't didn't this movie cause him to relapse into alcoholism? <laughs> yeah, I think so. And subsequently he left the Batman as well. Yep, good nominee. Uh, Sam, yourself, this one and Infinity War. Yeah, I, th- I think with Justice League, um, in terms of ruining their career, like Mickey Rock, I think Ben Affleck's a good good shout because um, – yeah, he's he's certainly. Although he's come back with that, there was that what was that movie, The Way Back, recently. That's meant to be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, basically Ben Affleck seems to make movies to basically reflect his real life journey of recovery and redemption. Yeah. Hey, he drank a beer in the shower in The Way Back. That is great. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it takes for me to like a movie. I actually think the biggest loser of uh, Justice League is Joss Whedon. Oh. Oh, yes, actually. Nice. Oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, nice. Okay. Uh, I think you could be onto something because he was so hot right now and then he got caught up in the Me Too movement. I can't recall what context. I think it was a case that it was more innocent in the sense that- Oh, his wife, his, ex, his ex-wife his ex wrote a letter saying, you know, he cheated on me and he, you know- He's not very supportive. That's right. That's right. So I think it was one of the – it was on the Aziz Ansari scale of, of Me Too rather than the Harvey Weinstein level. But um, – Gotcha. Okay. But, but, but that coupled with this movie kind of lost both sides of the ideological divide because the MAGA DC fanboys don't like him because of he ruined Zach's film and the, um, the woke brigade don't like him because – because he cheated on his wife with one of the stars of Buffy. Well, what Mr. Whedon needs is an award from us truly down here in Australia to try and, you know, (laughs) get back on the road to redemption. So let's hand him the Mickey Rourke Award to sort of see him into brighter times at the end of the coronavirus pandemic. Nice. Okay, moving on. The Winner Winner Chicken Dinner Award. Who came out on top in each of these movies and was it their career high? Sam, why don't you kick things off with Justice League? Who came out on top? Well, I think given the news today, I think Zach's come out on top. Nice. Yeah, but not with that film though. I mean, I guess you could say he's indirectly come out, but this film wouldn't be a career high for him in any way, would it? No. Well, let's say Jason Momoa then because he's, he, he you know, he's, Jason Momoa went on from this film in as Aquaman to Aquaman, the solo film, which was very, very successful in the box office. And I think um, it really propelled him into feature feature star status. You know, he was in Game of Thrones, but, you know, as prestigious as Game of Thrones is, it's still TV. He was in a remake of Conan, but no one saw that. Um, I think- I did. I think, well, you see everything. How was it? Pretty bad, pretty bad. Yeah, you can't you can't do that. I love Conan the Barbarian is such a great film. I love the um. It's one of those films I watched with the commentary. When you did you do you remember watching films with the commentary? Oh, amazing! I think it's Arnie and the director, and there's a scene where you know 
he he as a boy he's taken as a slave and he has to push this wooden wheel around and then it's a montage of him growing up into you know and there's a bunch of people pushing this wheel and they all fall off and die i guess <laughs> and then he's alone at the end as as arnie pushing this wheel alone and then this guy comes and takes him away to be a gladiator and in the commentary arnie was like but what about the wheel <laughs> <laughs> Who who will push the wheel? <laughs> I love his commentary because often he also just describes what's happening on screen. Yeah, yeah. This is a scene where I push the wheel. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, man, I'm I'm watching that scene. It's great. I watched Terminator Three with the commentary, and he was like, I really like the female Terminator with her boobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sexy but dangerous. <laughs> so good. Uh, that's great. It's awesome. So I'm going to say, Jay- I'm going to say, Jason Momoa for Justice League is winner, winner, chicken dinner. All right, Gabe. Uh, I'm going to vote for Schwarzenegger on commentary. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jason Momoa gets it. Moving on. Best dialogue award. What was your favourite quote from either of these movies? Oh, I've got a few. Gabe, your turn first. Off, Sam, go. Oh, Sam would have written them down. He would have written them down when he watched it. You go first, <laughs> you go first Gabe. Let me... Uh... I don't know. I can't remember. I mean, like, I like this movie fine, but fuck, good luck trying to remember an actual line of dialogue. Uh, uh, no. Oh, this, this, is, this is a bit of a lame one. When Batman says, um, we tend to act like the doomsday clock has a snooze button. That's a pretty... That's not a great line. But, um... I, I do think that that humanity reflects that in terms of climate change. I have to just chuck that in there. Surely it's got to be uh, Victor Stone saying, the ride ain't over yet, and Arthur Curry, Aquaman goes, my man. <laughs> That's terrible. No, there's a line from Cap- – there's a lot of cool lines in, in Infinity War, but there's a line that I quite like and I'm going to try and use with my girlfriend. Um, oh, Yeah. Sam's currently turning through, for the benefit of our podcast listeners, his diary of quotes from superhero movies. I'm I'm interested to know what he's going to use for his girlfriend, and then I'm interested to know what other ones he could use, like uh, to impress your girlfriend. You could be like, "Dude, you're embarrassing me in front of the wizards." Is that the line you're going to use to impress your girlfriend? No, no. Captain America says, "I'm not looking for forgiveness, and I'm way past asking for permission." <laughs> <laughs> nice, 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 nice. Uh, make sure to update us as to how that, uh, how that goes. <laughs> yeah, I might, I might have to. Um, yeah, I- and then she'll say, "You throw another moon at me, I'm going to lose it." <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm giving this as a dead rubber. There's no clear winner here, so fair enough. I say, yeah, no one walks away with the award. Let's jump to the Nicolas Cage chewing the scenery award. Starting with Justice League. Chewing the scenery. I did. Does it, does anyone really go hard? J.K. Simmons. He's a he's a chewer. He's a chewer. Yeah. I also think that uh, Ezra Miller, yep. you know, doing that kind of Mark Zuckerberg impression, who's doing an impression of Mark Zuckerberg from The Social Network. Ew, it's, look, it works for me, but it is, it's big. And he's walking the line of being annoying. And he, yeah, he, he's, it's like he's in a Marvel movie. Exactly. Exactly. Which is probably how he was directed, by the way. Yeah. He's, he's very pretty. How about Avengers? Anyone eating serious ham there? Benedict Cumberbatch 
can go big sometimes. And they're all they're all doing ham in this. You know, Chris Hemsworth is hamming it up. Drax, whatever that guy's name is, hamming it up. Dave Persister. Robert Downey Jr. goes pretty ham. Benicio. Oh, yeah. As the collector, big ham. Oh, he wins. He wins. Oh, I'd like to just point out as well, there's a bit where um, there's a bit where uh, Thanos is, Thanos is uh, interrogating Benicio Del Toro's character, the collector, and he says, and he says, where is the stone? In exactly the same inflection that Benicio says it in Snatch. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, very good. And and it's a throwback. They did it on purpose. Nice. Okay. Uh, then then Thanos says, is that the one about the hooker with the dysentery? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Del Toro gets it. Let's move on to the Taking a Paycheck Award speaks for itself. Ooh. Sam. Taking a Paycheck. I'm going to give Taking a Paycheck to Danny Elfman for Justice League. Oh, good call, Gabe. Nice. No, I think that's good. So it's a deeper cut than just trying to go, I don't know, Syrian Hines turning up to voice Steppenwolf. Yeah. But who cares and who knows? 100% Elfman for, for, for recording a completely forgettable score. Very forgettable. How about Infinity War? Pepper Potts? Gwyneth Paltrow, when Goop doesn't deliver. <laughs> William Hurt, you could possibly argue, maybe he took some coin, you know, re- taking on this role again for the first time, I think, since he'd been in, was it the second Hulk or the first? Uh, the first. He was in the first um, Hulk. And I think I think he turns up in Winter Soldier or one of those movies. Ah, uh, okay. Well, in that case, Elfman. Surely has to take it, right? Yeah, I think so. Definitely. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. got like $75 million for Infinity War. That's amazing. That is mind-blowing. All right, let's move on. The Stephen Toblowski Award, named after the actor who played Ned Ryerson from Groundhog Day. So, Sam and Gabe, who triggered, hey, it's that guy, when he or she appeared on screen, starting with Justice League? Sam? Uh, Miles Dyson, the guy. Um- oh, yeah. Joe, is it Joe Morton? Yeah, love Joe Morton. Plays Silas Stone, um, who saved his son by turning him into a cyborg, which you'd think he would have learnt from Terminator 2 to not fuck with that shit. 100%. Good call. Okay, good nominee. Who is he up against in Infinity War? Uh, Peter Dinklage. As uh, who does he play? What, what's his actual name? He plays like a giant, funnily enough. Eitri. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I completely forgot about that shit. Eitri, e- who, who, um, who, who forges Thor's new hammer, Stormbreaker. Okay. So Peter Dinklage and Miles Dyson, I think it's pretty close. Yeah, I'm giving it to Miles. He's my nominee. Fair enough. Yeah. I totally forgot that Peter Dinklage the capacity that he was in the movie. You could have dropped that whole sequence. Who gives a shit? Can we give can we give Peter Dinklage the uh, Chewing the Scenery Award? Because he absolutely hams it up. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. Let's do a retrospective one. Who are we taking it off? Who was the award winner? I've forgotten already. Was it J.K. Simmons? It was a draw. Ah, okay. Done. All right. I will speak to the engraver. It's not too late. <laughs> and try and get another plaque added to it. All right. Hey, when you speak to the engraver, make sure they put Josh Whedon on his award. Sure. Happily. (laughs) He might even put Josh Wheaton. Um, Okay. Let's jump to the Delroy Lindo Award for great actors who aren't cast often enough. Justice League. Now, did I see David Thewlis appear in one of these movies? Yes. Yeah, he's the bad guy in... Wonder Woman. But is he in Justice League? I don't remember. Apparently so. He plays Ares. 
Can't remember seeing him. Nor can I. He rules, though. But I like him. He's always good. He's a great actor. I love that guy. Uh, Jeremy Irons I've always liked as well, playing Alfred. Uh, any nominees from you guys? Uh, J.K. Simmons is always great, but he, he was great in- um, Spidey? Yeah, Spidey. But no, what's the drumming one? Whiplash. Whiplash, yeah. It's, it's weird when characters are kind of in an iconic superhero- movie role like JK was as um, J. Jonah Jameson, but then they turn up in another role in another superhero universe. I, I don't like it at all. It's like Chris Evans has been like, has been like in five superhero movies and finally he did one that was a hit. But, uh, you know, like JK, man, you were like, at, like you couldn't have cast someone better to play J. Jonah Jameson as JK Simmons did. And I think he even turns up in Spider-Man, doesn't he? In the new iteration of Spider-Man. He does, as J.K. Simmons. Yeah, that's right, which is very weird. I'm surprised he actually was contractually allowed to do that. Totally. Now you have an actor playing two characters. I don't know. I don't like it. I feel like that it ruins some kind of internal consistency. It's like you've got to draw a line and you're either in those ones or those ones, you know? You know, though, that Gabe, he actually is an actor and he actually isn't actually the head of a newspaper at all. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, anyway, moving on, moving on. Sam, cut some cricket crickets in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ouch. Sorry. That's too much power. <laughs> that funny gag. I like it. <laughs> All right. So who's who's the award winner here? I've got David Thulis and who else do we have? Uh, well, there's well, I mean, J.K. Simmons and uh, what about what about Infinity War? What about all of the the, the chumps in that? Like, don't you want to see more of Tom Hiddleston? No, not at all. Uh, Carrie Condon, who plays the voice of Friday, I quite like her. She's from Better Call Saul and that TV series Luck. I like her. Uh, more Stanley would be good. But unfortunately, he died. That's sad. More Josh Brolin. Yeah, Josh Brolin's always good. I agree. Um, okay, should we give it to Joss? Jo- Josh. <laughs> Let's give it to Josh. I like Josh. He's a good man. All right, done. All right, Josh takes home the Delroy Lindo Award. Uh, moving on, the Memphis Reigns Award, inspired by the absurdly named character played by Nick Cage. Which character steals the cake for the most ludicrous name? And there should be a few nominees here, starting with Justice League. I'm going to go first. Steppenwolf. I don't think you can call your baddie that when you've got such an iconic musical history associated with that name. It doesn't make sense to me. Thoughts? Yeah, I do. I definitely think that's a good good nominee for ridiculous name. Yes, but Ben, you could say I don't think you can call your band Steppenwolf when there was an iconic uh, novel by German-Swiss author Hermann Hesse published in 1927 called Steppenwolf. Oh, shots fired. That's a deep cut. I appreciate that. <laughs> it's a good book. Okay, Avengers. I find Gamora interesting as a name because it just- it- I always think of a venereal disease, to be honest. It does sound very similar to that. To, to gonorrhea? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, it, it, it invokes Sodom and Gamora for me, so I wonder if she lets, um, you know, Star, Star-Lord do some ass stuff or something. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> uh, that would make him Starfish Lord. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well played. All right. I think uh, so. Gamora gets it easily. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. See, Sam's going to go write some erotic fan fiction now about uh, <laughs> butt stuff. 
and those guys. <laughs> the Memento Award, name for moments you completely forgot about until you rewatched these movies. Okay, Gabe and I didn't watch all of them again, but I actually had completely forgotten that Peter Dinklage was in Infinity War and he played a giant. That just does not exist in my memory at all. So I'm putting down Avengers Infinity War for that. How about you guys? Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, I didn't, I I mean, I, I, when it got to that point, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this bit. So it had left my mind. But you've seen the movie like nine times. Yeah, but I, I also have substance abuse problems, so. <laughs> nice. Which enhances my, my film watching experiences because I forget what happened. Yeah, it's like great for at the time. You enjoy the movie more at the time and then you're like, oh, did I watch that? I should watch it again. Why not? I did forget just how red that last battle scene in Justice League was. And you, you were talking about the other week about uh, Red Planet and the grade and whether it was done in DI and and like this is like another Tony Scott film. Like it's even Tony Scott would have thought, geez, you've gone a bit too far with the red there. Totally, totally. All right. In that case, I think we have to give it to Infinity War for Peter Dinky. All right. We're near the end. Peter Dinky. You can't call him that. <laughs> yeah, you might get cancelled, Ben. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure why. Just playing off the surname. From my memory, does he wear a giant nappy? <laughs> I don't think he's wearing a giant nappy, no. He's not He's not playing a huge baby, is he? No, he's not playing a huge baby. He's like a giant dwarf thing. Now, now he's going to get cancelled. <laughs> I think you mean I think you mean like a, a Tolkien dwarf. Yes, that's what I meant. Not not a not a not a little person dwarf. I meant like a like a, a, a the kind of dwarf that mines and builds things. Yeah, totally. The corrections noted, and let me be clear: this podcast does not in any way criticise the use of nappies by anyone. <laughs> All right, let's uh, the Die Hard Award. Did these films inspire any clones? Well, I'm going to just jump in and say the idea of superheroes coming together as a team's been around forever. So um, I'd say no. Fair to say. Fair to say. Fair. Okay. Although you could argue that the Marvel generally, the Marvel success generally inspired the the, the rushed um, approach to making Justice League itself. Yes, possibly so. And that was a negative influence. Uh, good, good, point. good point. I reckon you could say that lessons were learnt from that experience too and the success of Infinity War and taking a time with a story has thus inspired executives to fund $20 million to make the rest of the HBO Max new TV series, Justice League. Yep. So the snake is eating its tail. There you go. Okay, it's come to that time of the podcast, the Milking the Speed Cow Dry Award, named after the infamous sequel Speed 2, which took the high stakes of a runaway bus in a crowded city and relocated it to a sluggish cruise ship. So, champs, chumps. Gabe, Sam, imagine this. We have an opportunity. I'm not sure how this would actually arise, given that these properties both sit with different studios. But let's just say in one day we have an opportunity to pitch a sequel to Justice League or Infinity War. Now, they're both about iconic superheroes who come together as a team to defeat an alien who threatens to destroy Earth and not everyone survives the final battle. So which film do we make a sequel to and what's our pitch to make it? Go. <laughs> Do you want to go, Gabe? Or? Uh, no, you go. Sam. I like. I had imagined you would have been, you know, lying under a tree in a meadow, just <laughs> just thinking about, oh, if they gave me a shot, how would I? So, mate, mate, 
if you've got an idea, Justice League Two. They did make uh, they did make a sequel to Avengers: Infinity War, so I think we've got to make a sequel to Justice League just for the fans. Um, nice. How's this for an idea? What if we threw extra money at post production and restored Zack Snyder's vision for a for the launch of a new video on demand service? Just an idea. Just an idea. That's a great idea. It's a great idea. We'll pump thirty million dollars into it. We'll get Junkie XL back and fix the score. And if that is a success, what is a sequel to that? <laughs> the sequel to, to the sequel to Justice League. Well, I guess you have to raise the stakes again, and you've got you've got. Super- oh, hang on! Can I, can I stop you there? Do we have to? Do we not have to? Because, well, can't you finish any movie? Like, can't you start a movie like the end of a movie, like Infinity War, where basically you scatter the heroes to every corner of the galaxy and the film is about them coming together? So the film's more about the re-teaming rather than the team fighting. Just an idea. No, just start them together and just have them go on a lot of fun adventure somewhere and, and do something. That's my pitch. Okay, if you bring together a group of the most powerful beings in the galaxy, I'll throw it back to you, Sam. What do you do? Do you raise the stakes by having another big bad, which is the same, if not more powerful than before, or do you look for internal conflict and squabbling like in Civil War? Maybe. Uh, what if? What if? What if these Batman and Superman characters in Justice League inspired? Inspired a bunch of unfuckable hate nerds to uh, <laughs> to take over 4chan and Twitter, and and the team has to get together to figure out how to quell their fans from um, supporting nationalistic fascists and bringing down the world by voting for Trump. It, I, I'm there for that because also. I'd like to see a scene where Superman has to use a computer, but he keeps breaking the keys because <laughs> he gets real angry. <laughs> Bat- Batman's good at computers, though, isn't Batman, he? Batman has the Bat computer, so I think he'll be okay. But there, maybe he's the, the Bat maybe he's the original fucking 4chan hate nerd. So yeah, like he's got like a thousand sock puppet accounts that he uses. Yeah. You know, yeah, Batman. He's just he's just in there in the Batcave, pissing in bottles, incessantly jacking off into his cow, um, writing really mean things about uh, Superman. That's why the cow's made of rubber. Easy rinse out. Yeah, that's right. Do they have the internet in um, Underwaterland? What, whatever Atlantis or whatever the fuck Arthur Curry's home planet underwater is called? Uh, I I don't know. I'm pretty sure they don't. So he'd have no idea. All right, here's my pitch. Here's my pitch. I say you get rid of the entire Justice League, much like with Captain Marvel in the Marvel films where she actually flies to another country or another world to save them, has that scheduling conflict. You basically have them chase a villain to another galaxy, which leaves Earth like a vacuum, right? And isn't there some sort of comic book lore with Superman, correct me if I'm wrong, Sam, where four or five different Supermans take his place, like a robot one, a clone, a kid, et cetera, et cetera. I'd do that story. I'd do that story where a vacuum gets filled. Yeah, so in the comics, Superman dies. He's killed by Doomsday, as he was in Batman vs Superman. 
and then those replacements come in while he's dead. He later comes back to life, but that would have to have been between Batman and versus Superman and Justice League. Although maybe no, 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 we're, we're tearing up all the rules. Basically, we're getting rid of him in physical space. Yeah, it didn't happen when he was dead, but now that he's back, we'll just get rid of him in a different way, and then just reappropriate Holus Bolus that storyline where they're doing the same thing, albeit the vacuum is his absence, not his death. Okay. That could work, surely, right? Have men of steel, people of steel. And then we basically have these five guys or four guys who are all megalomaniacs and they're trying to basically ride the coattails of Superman's brand. And then you have good guys who could be like lesser known superheroes, like who's the guy with the machete who appears at the end of Batman v Superman who's – some sort of hunter like Deadpool. That guy. Deathstroke. What? That's Deathstroke. What's his name? Deathstroke. Deathstroke. It sounds like a superhero inspired by Michael Hutchins, but- um... <laughs> Nice. <laughs> More shots fired. What? What do you mean? Michael Hutchins can't shoot back. <laughs> <laughs> it is too soon. Too soon. So that could work. And that way you get to bring in a new hero who you've actually introduced before, you've teased, but not actually had a chance to execute on screen. And you've got these- Five bad versions of Superman. One of whom is a child. One of whom is boy man. Boy man. Boy man, robot man. Maybe one's a woman, woman man. You'd have to have a woman. You'd have to have a super, super woman man. Super woman man. I watched that movie because I like the idea of anyone who becomes obsessive with fan fiction, right? This could be the ultimate anti 4chan, anti uh, hashtag release the Snyder Cut film, right? where essentially all those wannabe Supermans are stand-ins. Very online, man. (laughs) (laughs) They're all stand-ins for toxic fandom, right? Yes. And Deathstroke is essentially correcting the wrongs of these online trolls who have taken the brand of Superman and totally reappropriated it in the wrong way, the wrong lessons are learned. And it's a bit like that guy, the comedian from Watchmen, the Zack Snyder film, ironically, Right? Some of these guys aren't the best version of heroes. Some of them actually anti-heroes and some of them are just downright villains. They're slapping an S on their chest. And this guy, Deathstroke or someone else, has to take them down. That's what I'd do. I'd basically buy some time, explore different characters, whilst our superheroes are fighting Steppenwolf's ex-girlfriend in another galaxy, and then you bring them back one, two films later. That's what I'd do. That's a great idea. So, Ben, Ben, your pitch is, your pitch is, hey, remember those iconic characters you like? They're off in an intergalactic mission that sounds awesome, but don't worry about that. Instead, we're going to give you a bunch of B-teamers and second stringers in a, you know, uh... Uh, low-key face-off with characters you've never heard of. (laughs) Gabe, I see you and I raise you with the entire Affinity or Avengers team. All B-grade stars. No one had heard of Iron Man or Vision or Black Widow beforehand. Yet it's the most successful franchise of all time, including comic book adaptations, by people that you'd never heard of. Okay. They took the B-team and made them the A-team. So let's hope. Let's hope that your boy man, woman man, very online man, robot man and an ethnic man um, take off. I just think you've already tried the big superheroes already. That's worked and hasn't worked to various degrees. There's something more interesting about doing this and you're just basically putting a slight bookend and you'll still bring back everyone anyway. 
but he's trying to create a deeper world and a more grounded world with Boy Man. <laughs> okay. And what, what do you call this movie of yours, Ben? Uh, not Skater Boy, but- What? what? <laughs> <laughs> um, Skater Boy Man? What's the name of this storyline in the comics? Like, is there already something that's already been created, which is fantastic, Sam? Let's just take that holus bolus. What was that storyline called? Oh, the Superman with the. I, well, there was the death of Superman, which is when he died. I don't know. I don't know what storyline they called it. With the, um, you could call it the Children of Superman. Yeah, nice. Yeah, or you could just call it the Rise of Supermen, which basically implies there'd be. A few of them. Yes. Yeah. Super people. Come on. We're in a post Men in Black three, no, four world now. <laughs> we're, we're, you know, we're, they got to be super persons. So is there anything else to wrap this up that you want to add to it? Do you want to add another villain? Do you want to add another hero? Do you want to bring back Superman towards the end? What if the sequel we because Deathstroke is a, is technically a villain. What if what if Deathstroke breaks out Lex Luthor and there's all this trouble on the world due to toxic fandom of Superman and Batman. And Deathstroke and Lex Luthor, they don't think they're bad guys. They think they're doing good. And and they actually they they need to defeat these children of children of the Justice League. Um and by and in doing that, they they form their own their own group and call it the Injustice League. Nice. So we're reinventing some of the famous storylines of years gone by, but for a contemporary audience, we get to bring back uh, Lex Luthor, yep. Deathstroke as well, to pay off those teases before. It taps into what we said was best about Thanos, which is every great villain in their own mind is a hero in their own story. Exactly. And what these guys are doing is what they think is the right thing to do. And to be fair, you know, sometimes uh, – you want to try and, you know, get a bigger stick to uh, take down someone who's causing trouble. So you you bring on, you know, it's the uneasy alliance, as Gabe would say. Okay. With these two pre-established villains. I have an alternate pitch, completely different, because the movies you've described I would not see if I had a gun to my head. <laughs> my pitch <laughs> my pitch is a movie called The Out for Justice League, which is about Steven Seagal's character from Out for Justice. Oh, nice. <laughs> teaming up with other Steven Seagal characters from other movies. So Detective Gino Fellino teams up with Casey Ryback from Under Siege, Mason Storm from Hard to Kill, and maybe uh, Oren Boyd from Exit Wounds, and they are the Out for Justice League. Fuck it, can we So get- is it basically like a Van Damme film where you've got five versions on screen of, Van D- of uh, Seagal? Is that the idea? Seagal, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Can we get some Van Damme characters in there as well? Can we get fucking- No. Oh, come on. No, no, no. This is not a- This is a purely Seagal. Van Damme can have his own one. If, if I had a pun for a fucking Van Damme movie name, it would be Van Damme. But I don't. That's why it's the out for Justice League. Okay. What would the budget be for the uh, black hairspray he uses to try and fill in the ball patch? I mean, that would actually push it to a comfortably, what, a $50 million film, right? Sure. Sure. Might as well also just use this opportunity to say the movie Out for Justice fucking rules. (laughs) And that's how we make two alternative sequels to Justice League. I don't think they're getting picked up. (laughs) I think you're right. I don't even think HBO Max is going to pick those up. No, I, let's just let's just try and develop a bit of a hashtag awareness online first and see what follows, right? That's what we need to do. Exactly. Hashtag uh, children of soups. That's it. All right. 
That brings us into the show. Uh, Sam, thank you for joining us, mate. Uh, it's always good that you make us sound so much better in post-production, but even better to have you on the mic during the recording. Was it everything that you had dreamt of? Uh, yes. Uh, I, w- I was nervous coming into this because you guys have both got such extensive knowledge of of film and and uh, and and that's why I love listening to the podcasts. But I, but um, it was yeah, it was everything. It was everything that I that I thought it would be. So thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. Uh, you can uh, see all of Sam's amazing work if you go to IMDb and type in Sam Haywood. You'll see the incredible work that he's designed. And thank you again, Sam, for your post genius on this episode. Uh, where can people follow you if they want to follow you? Just follow me on Instagram on uh, at Showtown Sound. Good one. And you can find Gabe whereabouts? Twitter at Gabe Dowrick. And you'll discover the same enthusiasm from Mr. Dowrick <laughs> on the tweets. <laughs> hey, I'm just thinking about my Out for Justice League movie idea, to be honest. That's just popping over in my head. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a dream in search of a budget. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm at Ben Phelps on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube.com slash Ben Phelps. And you can find all my podcasts, including Twin Movies, in the usual places like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Gents, it's been a pleasure. That was fun. I actually enjoyed talking about these films more than watching them. Uh, And I'm looking forward to perhaps doing a, what, let's say sometime in 2021, we come back and do the HBO Max review. What do you think? That sounds great. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So much enthusiasm. All right. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Gabe. Adios. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks.